You're listening to the Bitcoin.com podcast. Our guests today are Anthony and Jay from Pestel Network. This episode is brought to you by the Bitcoin.com exchange, the exchange you can trust. Buy and sell Bitcoin as well as 250 digital assets. The Bitcoin.com exchange is secure, fast, easy, and reliable. Register within seconds and buy crypto with a credit or debit card. Join our community of traders now. Exchange.bitcoin.com. I'm your host, Dustin Planthold. Join us as we dive into the world of economics, politics, tech, Bitcoin, and cryptocurrency. For even more crypto-related news, sign up at news.bitcoin.com or follow us on Twitter at Bitcoin.com. Now let's bring on our guest, Jay and Anthony. Welcome to the Bitcoin.com podcast. Thanks, Dustin, for having us. We appreciate uh, getting a chance to uh, chat with you. Well, thanks for coming. Awesome. Thanks for coming on, gentlemen. And so, Jay, tell us, I mean, Pastel Network, who is Pastel? Well, Pastel basically started as uh, the idea was how to bring the decentralization of Bitcoin, the security of Bitcoin, but um, to, to the art world so that in particular, digital artists could have a platform where they could essentially become their own dealer. They could register their artwork, uh, upload an image of their artwork in a secure, decentralized way, and then be able to create a certain number of copies of, of that art and, and have that be sort of enforceable in a trustless way so that they could say they're like essentially the equivalent of limited edition prints there are 10 copies of this artwork and then sell it uh to other you know collectors and then those collectors in turn can trade it amongst each other without involving the whole uh middleman uh of uh, the art world which are the dealers uh that take uh and agents that take a huge percentage uh, of the economics but also act as gatekeepers you know keeping out certain artists and restricting art collecting to the super rich basically and um you know but the problem was that uh bitcoin uh it doesn't scale in terms of actually storing the artwork itself and i hated the idea of a decoupling i want an integrated network i thought that's the only way you could ensure like that the art would always be available in a permanent perpetual way you never have to worry about the art vanishing because someone didn't pay their hosting bill at you know aws or, or google storage or dropbox or something and um and also you know so you want the security so you can prove the provenance and like that this is art is really by this artist and that you really do own it and and but but you can't actually store all that data in the blockchain itself and i also don't like the idea of a decoupled thing like a lot of people are doing on ether where they're trying to use a third-party storage, either like a centralized system like an Amazon or Google, or even something like IPFS, where the storage layer is decoupled. In, in our system, it's basically Bitcoin for storing tickets, and the tickets are the metadata of the artwork and the artist profile. And, and that includes all the sort of relevant information about the title and the number of copies that exist. And then there's a separate but integrated storage layer for actually storing the images. And it's integrated in that this is a masternode system. So it's similar to Dash, where we have you know, special nodes where it's not enough to, you, you have to have a bunch of pastel coins in order to 
start a master node and then some portion of the mining block reward goes to the master nodes and in return for that the master nodes essentially provide services to the network including the storage of those files in a decentralized um way that's completely um uh it, it it's very robust to the removal of any specific master node so and the reason why this is permissionless is because anyone can start a master node. You just buy enough pastel coin. You don't need to ask anyone's permission. And then you can spin up your server and, and be running the code. And it's not just that you're storing the artwork. You're also basically selected in like a randomized kind of round robin way along with groups of other randomly selected master nodes every time an artist wants to register artwork and you walk them through this process in an automated way and that process it's not just storing the artwork it also um there's two very important uh, mechanisms and this is i think one of the biggest differentiators of our project <clears throat> is that um the first is you know it doesn't enforce rareness if you just have if someone else could take your picture without your knowledge and change one pixel in the corner and then try to upload it to the system as their artwork so you can't do a kind of a brittle surface level check of like the hash of the image file because that's always going to fail uh it's not robust and so i think this is in some ways the most impressive technological achievement of the project is that we're using like five different uh deep learning models uh, in tandem, along with some, you know, statistical methods to basically make a robust fingerprint, visual fingerprint of an image. And that's robust against also. So if I try to, if you register your artwork on pastel, your original digital artwork, and I try to take that image and open it up into Photoshop, I could apply any filter basically like, and, and, you know, make it black and white change, you know, invert the colors, blur it, do all kinds of stuff, add random dots onto it. And, in this, if I try to register that derivative work, it'll appear to be too similar and it won't, the system won't allow that to be registered. And that actually protects collectors too, because it, you know, it, it prevents the artists themselves from making another version of their same artwork. And then because that, that, that's always the issue of this. If you buy something, assuming that there's only five copies and then it becomes really popular, the artist could get greedy and say, oh, I'm going to make 50 new ones of the same art. art so it's accountability. I mean, what I'm hearing is transparency yeah. and accountability. So we know that you're solving a problem, but how did you become interested in solving it? Well, I mean, as a sort of uh, amateur, I do make uh, my own digital artwork, uh, and uh, I, I guess I've, I've long thought that there's a lot of artists out there that, you know, living in New York City, you know, you can just see that this is a uh, very much a who you know kind of thing. And I think there's so many talented artists that might live in, you know, Malaysia or, or you know, and they, they don't have any contacts to this world. And even if their art is amazing, no one is going to see it and they, they can't monetize it like you can you know that's the other sort of way to think about this one is the sort of fine art angle where it's like we want to you know have kind of patron supporting artists um uh, at a high level and then the other thing is a, almost like a patreon where you have someone maybe it's not their full-time job but it's something that they love to do and right now if you want to support a person like that there's basically only two options. One is you could, um, you know, follow them on Instagram or, or DeviantArt or whatever site it is, and you could give them money in a sort of charity basis on a Patreon. 
or you could buy some physical manifestation of the artwork, like a limited edition physical print uh, or poster, you know, from a site like Cafe Press, where they'll get a commission for, from that. And that's basically all you have. And, you know, what I thought would be nice is like a more reciprocal arrangement where you can support an artist that you like, but instead of just giving them money or, or getting a, a poster, which you would never be able to like resell that for anything. Instead, you get a rare digital print, which is easily traded without, you know, the use of middlemen in a decentralized way. Um, and so then, you know, the way I like to think about it is like, if you can identify an artist uh, before they make it big, it's almost like the equivalent of buying a, you know, Michael Jordan rookie card, and then no one knows who he is, so you can get it for next to nothing. And then he becomes, you know, the greatest. And suddenly that card could be worth $10,000. And because you believed in them at the beginning and you you had that insight that this was going to be a big uh, deal, you get to benefit along with the artist that you're supporting. And, and, and I love that idea that it gives you an incentive. It aligns the collector and the artist and in a way that um, really isn't possible in the world with super high transaction costs and middlemen, because like I said, they act as gatekeepers and, and it doesn't make sense for them to waste their time to help some guy in Indonesia sell uh, a piece of artwork for $25 because it's just not even worth thinking about for them. But, but maybe for the artist and the artists, you know, 10,000 followers on Instagram, maybe they're super fans of the artist you know, maybe there's 50 people who, who might actually consider paying 10 or $15 to get one of 10, limited edition, but that suddenly could be very meaningful money for that artist. And so that's really the sort of long-term dream is, can we provide this platform that offers you all those security guarantees? And I just, I, I think that's really the key differentiator here is that like, what are you really getting when you buy um, an artwork on one of these competing, uh, like especially Ethereum based platforms, you're basically just getting a ledger entry um, that is essentially just basically the ticket part. It's like what we're star storing in a Bitcoin-based blockchain, except they're doing it in the Ethereum blockchain. And then it has like a link generally to the, the image file. And But the problem is, you know, if you look at even a, a well-maintained site like Wikipedia, like link rot is like this incredible problem. Like, like this very high percentage of links go dead all the time. And like, you know, you ever try to look at, uh, you know, websites from even 2010 or something, half the links end up being broken. People stop paying the bill, the credit card expires. And, you know, to me, like that, that's the whole point of this is that, the, that, you know, even if everyone else gives up on pastel project, if you as a collector have enough artwork that you want to make sure that it never goes away, you can always um, spin up your own master node. And and you can um, you can run you know the network on your own even like uh, I mean it might require you to spin up several master nodes so you could have enough storage. But I, I like that idea that you can get sort of guarantee that this won't come offline, and that uh, and 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 also that no one can censor it. You know, like if you may if you're a Chinese citizen and you make artwork that is critical of you know the Communist Party. You know, they could easily try to block that or, or request that, uh, you know, like a Google or, or Amazon take it down. Here, this is a completely, um, 
you know, trustless, uh, decentralized thing. So the, it's not like you can pick up the phone and call the hosting company. It's that there are all these different independent servers running on different parts of the internet. And uh, it would be just as hard to shut down as, as any other um, sort of crypto. That's, so. that's very interesting. Now, let's kind of pivot into the investment side. I mean, it's rare on the show that we can actually have one of the investors talk about what they saw from their lens, their perspective, where you're putting in real money into the business. So, Anthony, share with us, what was it about it that made you say, we need to support this? You know, I mean, to be to be completely frank, and I think you saw it um, in the last few minutes here with, you know, Jay's description of the platform, a lot of it really just had to do with, you know, the genius and the grand idea that, that, Jay, had, that Jay had. And it really also resonated a lot with us internally, right? Um, you know, there was a lot of, just you know, genuine passion in terms of wanting to build a fundamentally decentralized platform. It was really relieving, right, to be kind of in the midst of a lot of different crypto projects and digital asset ideas, um, a lot of which might not, not necessarily have the core technology to really support some of these larger ideas. But to see Jay put such an emphasis on, number one, just building out the core technology prior to necessarily the distribution of the coin or the exchange listing, et cetera. That was just kind of a relieving moment that um, gave us a lot of assurance that this was a very genuine, you know, long-term oriented project. And then, you know, second to that, right, it's fundamentally from our perspective, the truly first completely open source decentralized system that really enables any sort of artist to come on and register store and then trade quote unquote provably rare digital art and really at the time it was you know what's what's a better current modern day use case for digital assets than this at the time right and you know if you really look at the the broader market it became very fundamentally clear to us that in the world of digital art the biggest hindrance has been this kind of component with respect to you know, how can we ensure that something is provably rare? How can we instill enough checks that, you know, it's um, it's NSFW proof, it's not a duplicate, etc. I can go on and I can list 100 pieces of art and provably sell only those items. I'm not necessarily worried about any pirating or anything like that. Um, and then, you know, the tangential point to that too is just the art market itself, you know, 50 billion plus per annum, um, digital art market really stands to capture a large component of that. And it was this sort of, you know, obviously decentralization across of allowing, you know, kind of as Jeff alluded to, um, a small digital artist with really no access to the broader art world in the midst of call it East Asia to be able to actually, you know, create a beautiful piece of art and sell it on a platform and, and actually monetize against that. And that's something that, you know, we've really never seen in the world before and doing all of that without some of the current market dynamics that really hinder some of these artists, you know, whether it's intermediaries um, or different fees and whatnot, that really kind of stand to capture most of those economics away from those artists. And so Jay, what's this been like for you working with an investor who is integrating himself within the company, advising, I mean, has this been any a challenge? I mean, talk to the entrepreneurs out there. When you when you bring in investors, you know, do you lose control or do you gain control? Oh no, no, it's been great working with Anthony and his team at, at Innovating because 
they've sort of freed me from worrying about a lot of the other issues. They're able to recruit uh, a really great um, Python and web developer uh, to to complement our our initial uh, hardcore C++ hacker guy who, uh, RK42, who's been working on the project from the beginning um, and, and just dealing with financial things. And it's, 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 that's been great. I do want to uh, circle back to a couple things that uh, um, Anthony mentioned, which is that again, just, you know, there are lots at this, when we started, there weren't really that many projects. It's just been a big birthing process to try to develop this technology. And now there's, of course, many, many competing projects that, you know, basically build themselves as rare digital art uh, on the blockchain. And I think it's so important to that we distinguish that I think a lot of these projects want to make it sound like they're more decentralized than they really are, because they might live on the Ethereum blockchain but then there's typically a centralized website for listing and showing all the artwork and, and browsing it. And what happens if that guy doesn't maintain the site or moves on to their next project and that eventually goes dead? Then you might just have a bunch of like random entries in in the Ethereum blockchain. Whereas, you know, in our project, you're you have a you know a GUI, a, a, a visual interface that that is essentially being served to you by the masternodes, right? That's such a key idea that like the masternodes are the servers. So no, there's nobody that has to remember to pay the hosting bill or, or renew the GoDaddy, you know, uh, uh, domain. Like, and, and if they don't, then the project suddenly is in limbo. It's like anyone can run one of these servers. And, you know, that also creates some issues because if you don't have anyone in control, I mean, that's really the key that makes Bitcoin so powerful is there's no one in control. You can't call like, you know, if, if, if somebody does something you don't like and you're a powerful government official, you can call up the CEO of PayPal or you can call up Jack Dorsey at Square or whatever and say, suspend this guy's account. And if you don't, I'm going to pull your license to run your company. And they say, yes, sir. Here, there's nobody to call. You don't know who it is. People are running these things through proxy servers or whatever. Like, and and but that also creates issues because now if you want to run a master node, you're effectively acting as the server. So here's a nightmare scenario that I thought of very early on, which is what if somebody either to sabotage the project or because they're you know a sicko like that tries to register uh, child porn. Uh, image on right on this the system and now suddenly you as a master node you might you're not going to be storing the whole file because we use a chunking system that breaks up every file into you know a, a whole bunch of redundant uh fungible chunks no two of which are 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 the same uh, are, are are unique like it's i'll talk about that in a second but basically the idea is that um we need some protection against that. And so we're using another deep learning based system that now and some might object that, well, some artwork shows not safe for work topics, but you know, I'll let another project deal with that kind of artwork. And so if you try to put something on there that looks like child porn, we're using a system that was developed by Yahoo to prevent people uploading child porn on their system. And I think that's really important because you don't want someone to worry when they're running a master node that they could actually be committing a crime simply by running the master and having these files on their system. And just to circle back to what I was saying about the 
the chunking system because I think it's so important that, you know, it's not just that the image files are not on one centralized server. It's they're not on even one decentralized server. They're broken up into chunks, as I was saying. But, um, you know, anyone who's torrented, uh, used BitTorrent to download files has probably experienced this uh, occasionally where you're 99% of the way done downloading, but you're missing a few pieces because Bitcoin breaks up files into what are called disjoint chunks. So there are all these different pieces and you need every one of them to reconstruct the file at the end. Whereas we're using an example of what's called a fountain coding. And so we're able to basically generate chunks dynamically. No two of each one is sort of just as good as any other one. There's no rare chunk because every chunk is just as, as long as it's a new chunk that you haven't seen before, it's, you can use that to reconstruct a file. And what's so important about that is that whenever the files are stored, they're broken up into all these chunks, and then the chunks are distributed across all the different masternodes, but in a redundant way. And we've done tests that show that you could randomly unplug 80% of the masternodes, and you'll still always be able to reconstruct all the files from the chunks that are remaining on the, the 20% that are still plugged in. And that's important because if in a decentralized system, if you don't have to ask for permission to start up your master node, you certainly don't have to ask for permission to shut it down. You just, as soon as you want to sell your coins and then you can't run the master node anymore, you, you take it offline, that's the end of it. And, and we can't predict that. No one has to give us notice. And so you have to be robust against that. No other project is even attempting to solve this problem. Most of them, you know, if they even think about it, they're saying, oh, we'll just use IPFS. But then you're involving a third party system that you do not control. And it is decentralized, but it's not nearly as robust for these purposes. Here, the people who are storing the files, i.e. the operators of masternodes, are being economically incentivized by the network. A, they own a big stake of coins, which is what is required to run a masternode. B, they get a portion of the mining block reward for running the masternode. And three, they get all these fees. Like So when an artist wants to register artwork on the network, depending on the size of the image file, they have to pay a, a registration fee. And that fee is essentially, you could think about it as prepaying for like Dropbox forever for you know whatever, your 10 megabyte image file. And those are distributed to the masternodes that are storing those those chunks, and 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 or or, and the, or rather the fees go to the masternodes that are randomly selected each time, in in a provably fair, uh, ungameable process based on the mining process, based on the hash of the last block. It's a very secure system developed by Dash for so, so that you don't. You know, you can't attack the network easily by registering a bunch of master nodes and then trying to because you can't predict when your master node will be selected to do, handle the registration process. And 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 there's always several master nodes randomly selected, and unless you control all of them, they all have to match in terms of what they're they're reporting to the network. And so anyway, I'll, yeah, I'll it there. sounds like a very thorough system that you built it and you built it right. So, Jay, how do we learn more about Pastel? Sure. So I think probably the best way is to read the uh, white paper, which you can find on, on our website, pastel.network. Uh, it's a little out of date in terms of uh, the, uh, the actual uh, um, implementation and code in some respects. Um, but uh, all the main ideas are there, and, and the, most importantly, the 
this system I described of the master nodes, the storage layer, the duplicate detection, all that stuff is really described in detail. It's pretty long uh, for, for a white paper. I think it's over 120 pages, but if you're interested, it's it's very readable and uh, I tried to make it, uh, you know, and a fun, easy read, so. Jay, Anthony, thank you again for sharing your story on the Bitcoin.com podcast. Thank you. You've listened to another episode of the Bitcoin.com podcast. Subscribe at news.bitcoin.com, where your journey begins.